religion, science, myths and legends all point toward the next evolution in human consciousness. What do the invisible realms hold? Who's telling us and how do they know? We're investigating insights from around the world to answer the question, what does the material world arise out of and where do we go once we've dropped the body? You're about to go interdimensional with Robert Wallace to Undiscovered Spiritual Realities. Materialism and the mindset of materialism is itself a poison of the devil, a perspective of thought that can actually dismantle your spiritual future. How is this? Well, a lot of us living in this world, or should I say most all of us, have a major majority of our focus on the material things in our environment. The people around us we see as material beings and things. The house that we live in being a material structure. Our vehicle, the roadways, the buildings that we enter, the tools that we pick up to do our jobs, the places that we go and, and the things that we enjoy, we go to and we pay for material things using material money. So it's only natural that our attention would be on materiality. Of course, from the spiritual perspective, these material things are made up of spiritual forces. Our relationships with other physical material beings are actually relationships with spiritual beings who are sheathed in physical immateriality. So, the question is, do we need to avoid materiality? Do we need to avoid material thoughts? What is materialism? What is spirituality? And what is the difference between a material thought and a spiritual thought when it comes to living practically in our day-to-day -day lives? Spiritually speaking, we are all beings emanating from an unseen realm. That said, we live in a world, seemingly so, of physical material objects. At least that's how we approach these things from the perspective that we find ourselves in. So it's a question of whether there is really value in seeing things that way. So of course the material or natural sciences uh, have brought us a lot of information on healing and sciences in terms of learning how to leverage materiality in order to survive in these material bodies. But is there a hidden danger? So since we've asked all of the questions that need to be approached, let's run down the list. First and foremost, we come from a spiritual dimension and we're returning to a spiritual dimension. So the question of the significance of the contemplation of spiritual dimensions is before us. What is the significance or the importance of the contemplation of spiritual realities? In fact, there is a significance. Rudolf Steiner tells us that because people live lives not considering at all the reality of spiritual planes of existence, when they die, they actually find that a veil is cast over them, preventing them from seeing into the spiritual world that they should have seen. So in fact, just the very act of studying and contemplating these spiritual realities begets a spiritual cognition, even after death. If we don't accomplish it now, we will still perceive it there. But that's to say that if you don't, you won't. So Steiner was saying 
some time ago that if a person thinks they're going to live their life and concern themselves with the things of this world and then die and then concern themselves with the things of the spiritual world, that they will find themselves quite disappointed because it is actually the contemplation and the study of these spiritual matters while still in the body that even gives somebody a, a platform, an opportunity to confront spiritual dimensions after they die. So this whole noise of I will study spirituality when I make enough money or when my job is settled or when I retire and then life happens or we die before we attain that state, we've actually sold ourselves out to the devil. Because what is the uh, evil force in this world but that of materialism and all the fears that go with it and all the selfishness that goes with it? It's the belief that there is not enough. It's the belief in a certain finite uh, quantitative perspective on resources that actually enslaves us. It says you need to go and and do these things or you're not going to have what you need or it's going to run out or you'll be the last one and and you won't make it or you there's not enough for everybody to attain so you need to run for that goal for this object or that object and anybody who's really attained a good deal of success or property or materiality or maybe not at all maybe you're just smart enough to already know uh, with the smallest things in life that they just can't fulfill. They come to realize that once you have whatever you're striving after, you go back to that state of wanting, of needing, of striving, of insecurity. And of course, that's one of the oldest lessons that many of us have come to learn. And maybe you haven't really learned it yet. Maybe you're in the way of learning it. But the important thing to remember is when you die, no matter what you've striven for, whether you've attained great wealth and lived a very luxurious life, uh, or whether whether you've made it your life goal and attained it right before you died or what, and become what has been termed the richest man in the graveyard or whatever the case may be. Your true treasure in heaven comes about through the good deeds that you do and your experience in the spiritual realms after you pass through this life are going to result in what you experience in this life in spiritual studies. So you can't expect to handle the spiritual matters when you're in the spiritual world if you're ignoring them when you're in the physical world. It's a pretty common thing that I've heard from people that when you are in the physical body, you need to be concerning yourselves with the physical plane and that the spiritual matters ought to be left for the spiritual state that is life after death or for the more informed life between death and rebirth. So I think the core of what we're missing is the understanding that unless you're studying this subject matter right now, there isn't a later for you to unfurl. There isn't a spiritual world for you to access if you've made your life all about the material things. Obviously, we're preaching to the choir. In this realm, in this show, we're talking about this stuff because we're already interested, because we're predispositioned towards that understanding. But when we look out into the world and we see people who are driven for material things, and with that material paradigm, it can be tempting to get caught up in their way of thinking, to want to jump into their rat race, to start striving after their goals. 
we could forget that everything they're striving for is, even if they were to attain it all, would be all that they'll ever make out of this life if they accomplish their goal. And that's very sad. Your goal could be to be as rich as Donald Trump or to have as much property as him or anybody else or whatever your attainment is. But if it's not after the spiritual goals, then no matter what you've attained, you will end up empty-handed. That's not to say you can't pursue your goals in this physical world with a spiritual mindset and leave out of this life very rich in spiritual blessings, because one can. The Bible, for instance, doesn't say that one shouldn't become rich. There were rich people in the Bible. It does say that there is a challenge in that lifestyle, in that way of thinking, so that it would be easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the Bible doesn't say not to become wealthy. As a matter of fact, frugality and savings and earnings is actually uh, incumbent upon us. The parable of the talents given to the servants and the master who went away and came back and collected the talents that he had given to each of his servants. And it was actually the one who didn't make use of and uh, earn interest or earn uh, additional monies on what he had that was condemned. But at the same time, money itself is not the goal. The Bible says, do not work hard to become rich. You know, if your focus is on the spiritual matters in life and on the searching out for the kingdom of heaven and these interdimensional affairs, a few things start to fall into place for you. First off, your focus in that direction begets a sort of laser focus and it changes the trajectory of all your other concerns in that direction. And so as you're learning and studying with an eye towards that end goal, you acquire a lot of wisdom. And that wisdom is sufficient to not only refine the mind, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, but also to cause you to act in such a way that is most effective to attaining your goals in this life. That is, you acquire wisdom. What is wisdom but the application of knowledge? Wisdom. How do we attain wisdom? Is there a shortcut to taking the wisdom that we find in our various scriptures and instilling it into our own minds? Experience has shown that if we take the lessons of the wise ones, those who we've come to identify as wise, and we listen to what they teach us, and we take it at face value, and we wisely apply what they say, then we can have a pretty expeditious path to intelligence to knowledge, to wisdom. Get knowledge, get understanding, get wisdom, Proverbs tells us. So it's through the actual application of the information that we see the wisdom in what we're being taught. Wisdom is like the conceptual understanding of knowledge. And through a piece of wisdom, that know-how can beget a lot of knowledge in and of itself. It can be formed and shaped in different ways that we can apply to many different things. Unlike with pieces of knowledge, knowledge per se, which have very specific applications and uh, in most of the time, finite circumstances that vary from moment to moment. But wisdom sometimes will give us unconventional understanding. It will suggest that we go left when all indications suggest that we should go right. And by going left, 
we get to our goal by but by going right we find that we force ourselves down many tough paths so there's significance in the way that you're thinking just in terms of developing a spiritual understanding as it relates to the physical world but materialism itself is forgetting all of this it's striving after the almighty dollar and it's wanting to pursue the stock market for great riches and for big fancy experiences and vacations and to live luxuriously and so on and so on and there is a blessing for those whose minds are set on God now in this day and age we think in terms of the law of attraction this is how God or the spirit world blesses us in the physical world our minds become more powerful in terms of attracting or in terms of bringing about the desired results that we have for ourselves with less effort if we become more effective at how we use our mind. So again, the wisdom will teach us how to think. And when we think in that way, we find ourselves in tune with the infinite, in harmony with universal thinking, with the mind of God. And from that perspective, when we think something, we, we think correctly about it. And when we think correctly about it, it comes it comes to us. The Bible tells us, you ask, but you ask amiss that you might spend it upon the lusts of your flesh. It's not that having is an issue. It's not that desiring such or such a particular experience in and of itself is the issue. It's how you feel about that thing that you're asking for. Is it so that you can abandon your cares in life that you desire what you ask for? Is it so you can provide yourself with a false sense of security that you covet that pile of money or gold? You know, the fastest way, if you truly are asking for resources, for instance, money in particular. To get what you want is to actually put your attention on the thing itself that you would spend that money on. And you'll see that you're actually creating an unnecessary obstacle or hurdle for yourself, unnecessary rules that you yourself create in order to make something happen. Everything's easy for God. So if there's a particular place you want to go or experience you want to have, instead of concentrating on the bottom line of how much cash is required to have that experience, experience or go to that place, figure out if from your heart of hearts and operating out of a spiritual mindset, you still want that thing or experience because God does give us the desires of our heart. So if we're thinking rightly about it, and then we ask, ask and you shall receive. And all perfect gifts come from the Father of lights in heaven. So ask for what you want specifically, not for the things that you need to get to what you want. That shows a certain amount of faith, knowing that God hears your specific requests, it keeps a certain amount of strife and worry out of your path when you have to calculate, how am I going to take this money that God has perfectly given to me and fit it into this perfect hole of such and such dollars and such and such tax? And now what about these peripheral concerns and these other things that I didn't think to ask for? There's a whole domino effect that comes from just asking for mere tools to what you're wanting. Then specifically saying, this is the vision that I have. Without a vision, the people perish. So cast that vision. And that's why we talk about vision boards. Because a lot of times we ask for things and then two seconds later, or a day more like, or maybe 
a week or two, life distracts us, and we forget about the things that we once desired, that we even asked God for. And maybe we don't return again to those thoughts for many years, and then we say, I still haven't done this, or I still haven't attained this thing. Having a specific, clear vision for your life will enable a whole series of things to start happening. These magic and miracles that we hear about that conspire to bringing things about into our life. When it comes to your actual vision for yourself and how things manifest, synchronicities or coincidence start to occur in our lives. The synchronicities that unfold when a person walks into your life and starts to bring to you opportunities or circumstances or a new job that you enter into where you're surrounded by new leadership or new opportunities or new education that eventually takes you right to the vision that you had for yourself. It's almost like deja vu sometimes if you've thought thoroughly and clearly enough for what you've desired when you're experiencing the desires that you once had for yourself that you gave to God and and you said if it's your will may it be done not my will but your will and again he gives us the desires of our hearts now is he giving us the desire that we're asking him for is he giving us the things that are the object of our desire these are questions we might ask ourselves which came first the chicken or the egg which came first the desire for the destiny or the the destiny itself and only for the the cause of the destiny do we find find yourself longing for some objective since it is our purpose. That sounds, I'm sure, a bit convoluted, but let me rephrase it this way. If we know that we have a purpose to do a thing, then naturally our attention is focused on how we're going to attain unto that thing. If in our heart of heart and deep in our soul and our subconscious mind, we know we're here to accomplish a certain thing, then we might realize, if we knew that, why we have the specific desires that we have. Why we want to go to this school so bad. Why we want to be involved in this fraternity or order or be friends with these types of people so bad. If we realize that those desires are a result of predetermined destinies in our lives, that we're actually calling us forth in that direction, then it would make a lot more sense when a thought arises in us for a certain person, place, or thing. And again, it's about how we approach it mentally. God gives us the desires of our heart. Paul prayed that, I pray that you prosper just as your soul prospers. So if you want to develop in your external life, it isn't through the focus on materiality, as it were. It's through a focus on your spiritual values and goals in conjunction with the things that are already going to arise in you, whether or not you're focused on materiality or spirituality, and that will affect how things come about. To rephrase that, just because a person is on a spiritual path and they're pursuing spiritual things for the whole world, it doesn't mean that in that process, they will never have another thought of something that they would like again. Perhaps in some sense, we might think that to pursue spirituality is to lose all desires for anything other than God. And in a sense, this is true. Our objectives become toward and for the purpose of God and his kingdom and the attainment of that kingdom. And while we're here, we're still experiencing karmic relationships things and people and places that have to play out a reason for being born in this body to begin with. And for that purpose, we find ourselves on the path that's unfurling before us, a path that's chalked out by our own projections of what we believe is possible for us. So it's very significant if we think a thing is possible or not, if we think that certain things must happen before something can happen, if we think that 
God can make anything happen, or that God gives us the desires of our heart, or whether we think something is easy or hard, whether you think you can or you can't. Either way, you're right, Henry Ford said. And isn't that true? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Is he a striver? Is he a survivor? Is he a victor? Is he a victim? So you can have your thoughts and you can have the manifestation of those things and you will learn the lessons that you need to learn. And even if that thought and those desires are, I need to become wealthy so that you can learn that wealth won't satisfy, you can spend your life on that lesson. And you will learn that lesson if you are striving after that, thinking that that will satisfy you. And your life will be expended to learn that lesson. And it's a bitter lesson. It's something that, like anything else, will cause a sense of regret to think that we have fallen by the wayside, that we have erred in our thinking so long ago. And to think where we could and perhaps should be were we to have taken the wisdom from the beginning and walked in that way. And there are future incarnations and perhaps the lessons that we learn here in terms of what we really need or don't need occupy our mind for the entirety of our lives. And so that next life we can have a more spiritually grounded paradigm and pathway laid before us. Like I was talking about a little while ago about the wisdom and knowledge factor and kind of how one might exponentially grow ahead mentally through the trusting of the wisdom as it's imparted from those who are wise as opposed to taking bits and parts of knowledge and having to test every little step along the way never really trusting whether the knowledge is sound or not not knowing if it will get you where you want to go so too does the projecting of your end final goal towards your spiritual destiny expedites you past many of these smaller lessons in life. They make you a giant, in a sense, to step over the little concerns of a life which is ruled by the limitations that we impose upon ourselves, the lessons that we learn by overcoming, by accomplishing certain things make the accomplishments smaller in our mind. A hard thing becomes easy after it's been accomplished. An amazing thing becomes average after we've attained enough of it and less significant, though we be grateful for it nonetheless. But what is the goal that is worthy of our attention to change the paradigm so dramatically that it changes the way we think about everything else? It's the attainment of spiritual dimensions, particularly the kingdom of heaven. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. All things will be added unto you. While you're striving for the kingdom of heaven, life will start to iron out. Great relationships will be added to you. Circumstances, opportunities that are desirable and favorable and and joyfully fulfill you will be added to you. Not so that you can be satisfied by them, but through them, you can come into a greater harmony with your true purpose and that expression that you're here to experience from a spiritual perspective. But all of the fruits along the way of the material world, as necessary as they are and as fulfilling as they seem to be and as exciting as they may be for us at the time, don't compare with the next dimension. And that's really what we should be striving after. The next dimension, the spiritual dimension, the kingdom of heavens, rather the kingdom, 
kingdoms of heaven, of these other beings and worlds from which we've come, from which this world is built up out of, from where in prior lives, in between prior lives, we've spent our efforts building up and and evolving the world and into the future where we will find ourselves again, that is the true mission and preparation and work of this life. So, Again, to think that we're going to work on ourselves spiritually once we enter into the spiritual world, or to think that spiritual matters belong to spiritual planes, or to think that spirituality is to be studied by those who have the time and the money and the comfort and the luxury and the carefree life, it's all a fallacy that's built up out of materialism. We put the materialism first, and that comes second. And what happens is we become materialistic beings, and we die materialistic with concerns not after the spiritual world that is eternal, but after the physical world, which is perishing away, which rust and moth doth decay. So materialism, if things sit and wait for you at a store for you to come and purchase, and if you buy them, and if if you love them, and if you put your value, stake it to the possession of these things, and knowing though, in fact, that when you die, this object, will long exceed your existence in terms of the physical materiality, then perhaps you see how your inevitable separation from these things that you're desiring is actually a delusion. And it's a distraction, a diversion, a materialistic diversion from your spiritual pathway, the concern that you should have that supersedes all of that. So how do we implement spiritual thinking in a materialistic life? What is the action that we have to take in order to overcome Come that well we do that in multiple ways like what we're doing now just the discussion of the differentiation of materialism and spirituality is creating necessary synapses in your mind brain that is helping you to see the value in the spiritual world and see the lack of value in what we prize so much in this material plane. In fact, because everything is spiritual, these material things around us are, in fact, of special spiritual significance, but its attainment as our ego strives to attain and hold them is a delusion, which actually binds us to the densest of all planes. It's an unhealthy relationship. It's a toxic relationship. It's a damning relationship, damning one to materialism, damning one out of heaven and into the fires of hell, a flame that consumes the one who's consumed by the things that they can no longer have, that they could never truly have, like we can have in our hearts, the kingdom of heaven. That's an experience which transcends. I want to make an interesting distinction about the spiritual bodies and the way that we experience spiritual planes. You see, when Christ talked about having ears to hear and eyes to see, in the spiritual world, we perceive around through sound and through sight. Not having a physical body, physical sensations, as it were, uh, are not, unless we're occupying certain spiritual bodies, the mode of interaction with certain spiritual planes. Our capital I, around which its own ego identity radiates. That little drop of the universal sun that lives in all of us, except for those that it doesn't, and there are those in whom there is no I, and we shall talk about that at some later point. That spirit drop, as it travels and sees throughout time and space and in different places, and it 
sees through its eye and it hears through its ear, but it's not handling through its hands. It's not having through its pockets. It's simply perceiving. It's a perception being. So to have spiritually is to be able to perceive what is to be had. And that is the fulfillment in and of itself. That's the pleasure. That's where it, that's where the satisfaction is found in those experiences, not in having to have and hold forever and ever till death do you part per se, not to allude to the sacrament of marriage, but to that marriage that many of us have with materialism. Everything that we have, we hold in trust for other men. Perhaps you've heard that said before. Everything that we have, we hold in trust for other men. The house that you have, presupposing it doesn't become condemned and destroyed or in whatever way for a hundred years after you die, will be lived in by many more families, potentially. You think it's your house, your kingdom, because you bought it. You have the deed. But if it's all the same to you, you're renting it. You are renting it because you will not have it forever. You have it for a period. You're leasing it, if you will, until you are no longer capable of occupying it, at which time it will move to somebody else. It will move to a the government, to an inheritor, to whomever. So this idea that we're secure in our possessions, again, these are all very temporary experiences that, that we have, that we're able to possess. And it's wonderful that we have whatever we have, and we should be grateful for it, and we should respect it and treat it well. But we should not put our trust in it. So it becomes most important that aside of whatever your goals are in life, that your paradigm is built up around a spiritual understanding, the attainment of spiritual knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, and most specifically, the seeking ye first of the kingdom of God and his righteousness, because all things will be added to you from that. And in fact, it gives you the hope for a spiritual experience, not just in the next life, I should not say just, not just, as this is where we go full throttle, but even more so that we can begin to build ourselves up and interact with the spiritual world now, while still in the body, making great strides of progress in our our soul and our capital I and our spirit while we're still in the body. We can begin to actually handle the parts of eternity that most of the world is putting off waiting to have it impose itself on them. We can do that now. Instead of hoping and waiting for a bliss of a spiritual world to fall upon us, there are steps that we can take now, specific meditations, specific teachings that we can access now. So the kingdom of heaven is inside of you and it's outside of you. It's not in the future, the far off place waiting for the events of the book of Revelation in a future sense to occur, because the book of Revelation is happening now, because the kingdom of heaven is now, because Christ has returned in the etheric and can be perceived by those who are training themselves, whose concentration and whose hearts are on the Christ objective now. So with all that said, it doesn't make it easier necessarily to sit here and hear this, but in a sense, it does lead us closer to it. How so? Because if you are looking for how you're going to access these things, you look no further than hearing about it, but most specifically, hearing about it from people that have attained unto those states and their accounts. So my recommendation would be to pick up the writings of somebody like Rudolf Steiner. Find a spiritual master who's really explored these worlds very thoroughly, who's mastered it because of their karma, who've come to this earth to teach and awaken people to the Christ force, uh, the Christ 
Christ impulse as it relates to the physical world from the spiritual perspective. Take in their teachings. Let it work on you, as it were. Think on what they're talking about, whoever you're listening to. It could be Emanuel Swedenborg. You could have some other uh, prophet or church denominational uh, guru that you follow. But somebody who really knows. And it's through thinking through their way of thinking long enough and matching up the synapses and the the schematic of your mind, your brain, your neuronic pathways to theirs. And if they are in fact enlightened, then theirs will more readily resemble the mind of God. And they'll be a living example of that, being a living master if they were. And this will put you more into harmony with that way of thinking so that it can become alive in you, the word of God alive in you. Um, if you want to change what's happening in your life, you need to change the information that's coming in. The materialistic people know this through self-help material, through business advice material. More spiritual minded, spiritually minded people do this through their scriptural readings, through listening to prophets and spiritual teachers. That's where we should direct our attention. Be ye renewed, or rather transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so listening and engaging in this type of content is what actually starts to awaken you. Now that's not to say there isn't specific meditations that can, should, and ultimately must be done on our path to and through uh, the development of clairvoyance on and to and through the attainment of initiation into these spiritual planes of existence. But it is definitely the core foundation to leading yourself into those experiences. So, for instance, there are certain ways a person might auto-initiate themselves or become conscious prematurely of spiritual dimensions, which can be very dangerous. There are some people who are naturally clairvoyant, having super sensible abilities and perceptions without any sort of conscious development. And there are also those who are born without any spiritual experiences so that they can recall to themselves, but through their interests and through their study and through the practice of the thinking of spiritual thoughts, things start to occur to them. Beings start to appear in odd ways, effects spiritual phenomena start to occur. They have dreams of a mystical nature. So you can start from scratch. You can start from no experience and you can access and have these experiences. Admittedly, if one's karma, if one's past development, if the circumstances surrounding this incarnation for you are more favorable, it may be easier. It may be more natural. You may find yourself more naturally inclined toward this material. For some, it's actually boring. Uh, They find sports interesting and then there's for some spiritual information is the most invigorating exciting thing they can possibly put their attention on and it's actually things like sports that are boring so it really does in part come down to your willpower there are religious athletes and there are spiritual people who have their interest in certain athletic things and we're in these in-between stages but the things of the world when it comes down to the meat and potatoes if you will of the most grounding physical aspects of earth and its activities including but not limited to things like 
physical athletics do bind us in a different way to the world than does a study of spiritual matters. And so while there may be a place and a time for these sorts of things in your development, ultimately where we're going and what we're doing in the kingdoms of heaven have more to do with those issues of wisdom and intelligence in the development of our ethical and moral development. So you want to shortcut your way to the last chapter you want to skip to the back of the book. It's to become a fully free and conscious spiritual being who, through the development of their own faculties, are able to consciously enter into and control themselves the spiritual planes of existence and move forward there in that way, as opposed to entering unconsciously into those dimensions or without the ability to consciously decide of their own volition what they will experience, which is what some people even expect or hope for themselves, that they might automatically become these spiritual beings that are so heavenly and perfect and without a mind of their own, in a general sense, are made to do the right thing. But really, your mind needs to be transmuted. It needs to be transformed into the mind of God. Jesus thought it nothing to share a mind with God, and neither should we. We get in on the same wavelength, the same way of thinking, and we match our thoughts and values values and feelings and love what he loves and hate what he hates, as the Bible says. And, and then we come to cognite certain spiritual phenomena. We start to find ourselves syncing up with a, another voice roaming the inner minds of the populace of the world. Themes that are to rise up and before the minds of the world are already living in you. And so it is not a subconscious revelation when things happen to you and out of other people, but rather it's a spontaneous event in you because you're already thinking in the same wavelength as the God mind that everybody is living in, whether or not they're conscious of it. This might point us towards how prophecy and things like that happen because God knows the end from the beginning. His throne inhabits eternity from the beginning to the end. And if that be so, and if his mind, everything being mind, if his mind occupies all of that, and if our minds be like unto his mind, then we will start to think and sync with events because our thoughts behind the scenes are the same. And so we're already aware, in a sense, of some of the things that are about to happen. And so we're, of course, at varying degrees of these sorts of cognitions. Some of us are mildly clairvoyant. Some of us have a dream or a cognition or a thought, and then it happens. And then there are the straight-up prophetic cosmic beings among us who are always seeing into the spiritual realm and always knowing and predicting in the spirit of prophecy what is to come. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy then our relationship to the knowledge of the mystery of Golgotha, that is to say, the mystery of the sun being, the Christ coming down and entering into the body vessel of Jesus of Nazareth and uniting his etheric spiritual beingness with the earth through the crucifixion activity and the things that happened in the spiritual world as a result and that permeate the entire planet and the soul of the planet 
our shared soul with the planet, then we come into harmony with that Christ being who is in all. And in that sense, we unite with the Father. Jesus said, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And this happened through the Christ. And so if we learn the knowledge about the Christ, like the book of Revelation tells us, then we actually attain unto that garment, that white shining garment of the sun, the light, the logos, the word of God. And the word of God fulfills itself in us. It fills our hearts and our minds, and we become one with it through a knowledge of the mystery and the significance of the mystery of Golgotha. So it is through an education in these matters that phenomena can begin to take place. There are specific things that we can do, focuses and modules that certain spiritual teachers, including Rudolf Steiner, can impart to someone to practice in order to prepare them to have these experiences. And they themselves will uh, help, depending on a person's readiness, to provoke certain spiritual phenomena, which is, in its own right, exciting progress for the spiritual searcher. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, it's through this knowledge that we come to understand the types of activities that are rumbling in our mind while we do the meditations that we do. One could through a new knowledge uh, attained through a spiritual uh, teacher on these matters, come to understand the significance of their thought actions while in their contemplative meditations that whereas before nothing occurred, then cause an, a certain awareness of aspects they'd never considered. And that growing awareness cultivates through that meditation practice into spiritual cognition of other worlds. And isn't that the goal? You go to the movies, you watch the TV shows. What are the What is the world fascinated by? among other things. Fascinated by the wizarding world of Harry Potter. They were fascinated by the sci-fi, psycho-spiritual phenomena and paranormal experiences. A time when mind controls things. A time when other dimensional beings interact and cross-permeate with this dimension. It's been chalked up to the realm of fantasy. We fantasize and long for such a day when these sorts of mystical, magical events might happen. But instead of leaving that to the realm of Hollywood and books of of fiction novels, we can, through a pursuit of esoteric material, come into a cognition of these same things that are being depicted by artists who, knowingly or unknowingly, in many circumstances, depict quite correctly, in certain ways, uh, spiritual phenomena. I believe that a certain amount of creative directors and people who maybe have entered, perhaps incorrectly, through the use of certain spiritual medicines, we might say, these other realms, or people who've had their own spiritual experiences, writers who've had on their own spiritual path, have found expression of these spiritual encounters and events through the writing of scripts, books, and things like that, and it enters it into a the public consciousness. And so that for me is to say that there's some truth to the things that we see in Hollywood and things of that nature, but it ultimately in those settings tends to play back to a materialistic mindset. It keeps coming home to a spiritual power that enables us to do those very things that Jesus refused to do with his abilities. To have the ability to fly and to glorify ourselves, to turn that 
stone into bread and make this whole world whatever we can imagine for our own selves according to our own wisdom. You ask, but you ask amiss that you might spend it upon the lust of your flesh. It's not that having the ability to do the things is the problem. It's the knowledge and understanding and the control of oneself when they have those sorts of powers and abilities that really makes the difference. Whether they are coming from a place of love for God and the kingdom and his righteousness, or just coveting power for power's sake to satisfy selfish self. Ultimately, we all know if we've ever seen a materialistic person, a non-spiritual person die, that they die and leave the world often in a depressed, sad, lost state. Perhaps with regrets, uh, lacking fulfillment, longing for things that didn't happen, and perhaps we've seen spiritual people pass, people whose focus is on the spiritual plane. And and maybe perhaps you've seen materialistic people become spiritual through that conversion process into death. Perhaps at a hospice or uh, a family member who starts to, as they contemplate their mortality, starts to realize what is truly significant and important in their lives in terms of the joy that they leave, in terms of the love that they are able to share and transmit to people before they pass. If we can get into the mindset of somebody at that level last moment, while we're still early on in our lives, perhaps we can save ourselves a life of regret by not spending these precious years on things that are never meant for us, at least were never meant to fulfill us because they are unable to fulfill us, and instead focus on developing the abilities that are deep and buried within us that can be excavated through moments, days, weeks, months, years, decades of prayer and meditation that just keeps enhancing and growing and expanding and unfurling. You may, within a day or two or month or so, through correct training and dedication, create spiritual phenomena that occur, but it will continue to expand as your ability to wrap your mind around it develops. So you have a whole life, whole lifetime of work ahead of you and many more life times and so much work to do that there is just no time to wait for the right time which won't occur for spiritual seeking don't wait until you're 52 years old to go back into your spiritual texts uh because a lot of people wait to that and that is that's a folly so that's all for today uh materialism. In short, it's a mindset. It's a focus that bends every other thought throughout your whole life towards its means and ways of manifesting. It's a form of satanic worship. Satan or Araman or the materialistic sphere that we must manage and navigate and balance in this life. If it lead us, it captures us. If it captures us and makes us its slave, it owns us. And we don't go to where we think we go or where we should go when we die. So just keeping an eye out for your major goal and focusing on that goal, that's going to make the world of difference for all of us. And it's going to definitely make life a lot easier when it comes to managing disappointments, when it comes to attaining unto your goals. Things will just happen ever effortlessly because you're thinking in alignment with a way of thinking that gets stuff done without bothering with many errors, uh, false expectations, and silliness that befalls the materialistic mind. Robert Wallace here, spiritualrealities.net. We're on Spotify. We're on Facebook. I've enjoyed this. Message me if you have any comments, concerns, questions, suggestions. And I look forward to talking to y'all next time. My special precious friends. Goodbye.